Hi, I'm Lynn. And I'm Jan. Welcome to the second season of Lamplighters Podcast. Lamplighters is a community that encourages women to grow in our faith through the study of God's Word. So no matter who you are or where you are, no matter the time or experience you've had following Jesus, or if you haven't had any at all, we are grateful to be on the journey with you and look forward to becoming more of who God created us to be. So last week, our friend Meredith Weatherby started us off on a new section of our study, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And we took a dive into the Holy Spirit as the breath of God. So today, we're going to continue exploring some Old Testament scriptures that pertain to the Spirit. Lynn? Okay. Take it away. I will. (laughs) So before we start, I want to go back to something that Jim Singleton brought up in the podcast a few weeks ago. And if you haven't listened to that, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's It's a really good one. And he talked about the grand narrative of Scripture. Now, the grand narrative is the overarching story that begins in Genesis and ends in Revelation, and it unites all those individual stories and people throughout Scripture, ties them all together, and it gives them meaning and significance. Mm -hmm. It's what we sometimes call the 30,000-foot view. So today, I want to begin with what I'm going to call the grand narrative of the Holy Spirit, because I think it will help lay the groundwork as we go into this lesson. So we're going to look at the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, and He's going to go all the way through to to, to today. That's helpful because it gives the storyline. Yeah, yeah. So the Holy Spirit, because He is God, has been there always, Remember, in the very first chapter of Genesis, in the creation story, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And throughout the Old Testament, we can find the Holy Spirit when we look, but in typical Holy Spirit form, He is subtle. (laughs) It's important to note that the Holy Spirit never changes. His nature never changes, but His roles do. I want to say that again. The Holy Spirit's nature never changes, but throughout Scripture, we will see that His roles can change and do change. He is there in the beginning, creating and sustaining life. Yep. Think about the breath of God. Yep. That's what we looked at last week. The Spirit is always connected to God's words. He puts words in people's mouths, and He speaks through them. Think about the prophets in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. The Spirit promotes holiness, and he addresses evil, and always points towards the Messiah. Long before anyone had any idea of who the Messiah was or that he was even going to be needed. So there's different job descriptions. Exactly. Yeah. You will notice that these are the things that he also does in the New Testament, but there is one significant difference. In Old Testament times, the Holy Spirit came upon an individual for a specific time and a specific purpose, and then departed. While in the New Testament, and ever since, the Holy Spirit lives in a believer and never leaves. In both cases, it's called indwelling, but the conditions are different in the Old and the New Testaments. Okay, I think I'm understanding and tracking with you. Basically, in the Old Testament, the Spirit was given for a time and a purpose, but wasn't necessarily permanent. And in the New Testament, the Spirit is given as a permanent gift to all believers. 
So do you have a couple of examples? Sure. The Spirit came upon Old Testament individuals like Joshua, David, and even Saul to guide them in God's will. In the book of Judges, we see the Spirit coming upon the various judges God had raised up to deliver Israel from their oppressors. The Holy Spirit came upon these individuals for specific tasks. Um, Sometimes the indwelling was a sign of God's favor on that individual, as in the case of David. But we also know that if God's favor left an individual, the Spirit would depart. Mm. Think of what happened to Saul. It's also significant that the Spirit coming upon an individual didn't always indicate a person's spiritual condition or worthiness. Because remember, God can use anyone He wants to achieve His purposes. It's a gift of grace. And that's still true today. Mm-hmm. You know, we have the Spirit as a gift, mm-hmm. not because we are worthy or have earned it mm-hmm. or because we're fabulous people, right? but because God has chosen to send His Spirit to us. Mm-hmm. It's pure grace. Yes, it is. So the big change in the role of the Holy Spirit came when the Holy Spirit descended into on onto Jesus at his baptism. Um, God anointed Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit so that Jesus could fulfill his ministry here on earth. I don't think I'd ever thought about that before. (laughs) The Holy Spirit was present during Jesus's ministry, helping him perform miracles and cast out demons and all the other things, all the other supernatural things he did. Because remember that Jesus came to earth as man and lived life as each of us would. So the obvious difference is that he was God and he was without sin. But because he came in the form of man, while he lived on the earth, he depended on the power of the Holy Spirit to complete his ministry. Mm. We will get into all the good stuff that comes to us from the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit in some future podcasts when we look at the New Testament. The main point of this whole explanation is to make sure that the difference between the Holy Spirit coming upon in the Old Testament and coming in in the New Testament is clear. Okay, so the difference between coming upon and coming in is pretty clear. And I'm like you, I'm looking forward to studying more about each of those conditions in the future. But today, I assume we are going to explore coming upon in the Old Testament. Yes, that's right. So what I want to look at is the anointing of individuals in the Old Testament. If you're like me, anointing is a familiar word. I know I've heard it before, but if you ask me to define it for you, I might struggle a bit. So with that in mind, I want to start out with what anointing actually means. And I'm not sure how many people do this anymore, so I'm dating myself here, but I actually got out the dictionary. A real book that you turned pages? I know. I love it. So do I. Actually, I find it most helpful. Yeah. So I found three main (laughs) definitions, and I want to look at each one of those right now. The first definition given is the simplest, and that is to smear or rub with oil or an oily substance. The really fascinating thing that I learned while studying this, takes us back to shepherds and sheep. The origin of the word anointing came when the shepherd came from the shepherds because when they took care of their sheep, you know, there were lice and other insects that would often get into mm. the wool of the sheep and they would burrow deep down in to Ugh. the neck and the ears and it would make them sick and sometimes they would even die. And, you know, this was disastrous because, you know, the sheep were their wealth. Sure. But the shepherds discovered that when they poured oil on the heads of their sheep, it made it impossible for this to happen because the oil created a barrier. 
And from this practice, anointing became symbolic of a blessing, protection, and a covering. I never knew that. And we raised sheep when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Huh. Well, I think things have probably changed. Technology has probably improved. Probably, but still, that's kind of an interesting <laughs> yes, thought. It is. Okay. The second definition is to apply, to apply oil to as part of a religious ceremony. For example, a priest anointing the sick with oil. And there is a biblical reference to this in the book of James. And then the third definition is to choose by or as if by divine election. Hmm. And throughout scripture from the beginning to the end, anointing is this symbol of the true divine influence. So that last definition is a little bit like another churchy word we use called consecration, mm-hmm. which means setting something apart for God's use that would be done yeah. by anointing. Right. Huh. Okay, so now that we understand the definitions of anointing, I want to point out that there are two different kinds of anointing. There is a material anointing and there is a spiritual anointing. Um, Material anointing is the literal anointing with oil, which is the most common anointing in the Old Testament. And that's what we will be talking about today. We'll talk about spiritual anointing in future podcasts. So the first example of a material anointing is called ordinary anointing. And this kind of anointing could be done by anyone and was a sign of respect. So for example... When an honored guest arrived at your house for a visit, the host would have poured or rubbed oil on their head as they were welcomed in. Mm. They anointed their hair, their head, their beard. And at their feasts and during times of great rejoicing, they sometimes anointed the whole body. Um, And the reverse of that is that it was also common to omit anointings during times of mourning. So I'm not sorry that this is not something that we do today. Oh, Lynn, come on. You don't want me to pour oil all <laughs> yeah. over you the next time you come to my house? No, no thank you. I'm just going to have to find another way of honoring you. Okay. I put up my olive oil. Great. Okay. Uh, the next kind of material anointing I want to talk about is official anointing. And this is a ceremonial anointing and was most often used as a type of inauguration. So prophets, priests, and kings were all anointed in this official way. Now, a priestly anointing can be seen when Aaron and his sons were anointed to become priests. And this particular anointing was passed on to generations that followed so that all were anointed and ordained to become priests. Then we have the prophetic anointing, which was obviously, by the word, for prophets. And these anointings were passed on as well. Usually the older prophet would anoint the newer prophet. Mm-hmm. Um, one, once anointed, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and that's when they started, you know, having their dreams and, and prophesying. That, exactly right. Elijah and Elijah, Elijah were anointed prophets. Mm-hmm. Now, a kingly anointing is exactly as it sounds. It was the, the anointing of a king. Now, in those days, every nation was ruled by kings, but in, in Israel, kings were anointed When they became kings. Now, objects could also be anointed if they were set aside for the service of God. And in all of these ceremonies, the participants were set apart, commissioned, and authorized by God to work for Him. So we would say they are consecrated. Right. They were anointed with oil, which represented the Holy Spirit. There was even a very expensive and fragrant oil for this purpose that was forbidden for just ordinary 
anointings. Okay, I'm going to interrupt here because I'm a little bit confused. Okay. Um, we said that in the Old Testament, the Spirit was given for a time and a purpose. Mm-hmm. So how then could the anointing be passed from one generation of priests to another? Okay, I, I see the confusion. I didn't describe that very well. Okay, remember that priests came from the same family line. If the father was mm. a priest, then the son would become a priest. So it wasn't, it was the job that was passed on. Okay. Um, then they would become anointed when they actually became a priest. So in that sense, the anointing was used in an official ceremony, right. inaugurating or installing someone in an office. It right. was a symbol. The oil was a symbol. Yes. But the Spirit himself didn't necessarily come upon or empower these folks. I'm thinking of the sons of Aaron who weren't exactly models of good priests. Right, right. So, okay, so it was a symbol of the office didn't necessarily mean the spirit was going to fall upon them. Exactly. Okay, I got it. Okay, thanks for clarifying that. Okay, I want to talk for a minute about one of my favorite examples of anointing, and that's the life of David. Um, Just as a quick summary, it starts with the prophet Samuel on the instruction of God going to the house of Jesse to anoint a new king to succeed Saul. This is a great visual. It is. So Jesse brought out his sons one by one, of course, starting the one that starting with the one that he thought would really fit the description of a king the best. But the interesting thing was each of them was rejected. They were not mm. God's choice for a king. So after eliminating each of these sons that Jesse presented, Samuel said, Are you sure you don't have any other sons? And Jesse said, well, yeah, I've got my youngest one. That's David. He's out in the field. The he baby. Takes care of the, the baby sheep. the family. Right, right. <laughs> the in, so when he was brought in from the fields to stand before the prophet, Samuel knew that this young boy, David, was the chosen one by the Lord. And he anointed David with oil, consecrating him to the Lord's purpose. Mm. And after this anointing, David's life was never the same. And David's life was never the same because the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. He was anointed by God. And remember that the Holy Spirit is God. The anointing changed him from being a boy in a field practicing his slingshot and watching over some sheep to a hero slaying a giant and then a king ruling a nation. Mm. And those things only happened because David was anointed by God And in that anointing, God equipped David with all he would need to fulfill God's purpose for him. And in his lifetime, David grew from one anointing to another. In the beginning, Samuel anointed him, and then at the age of 17. And then the next, when he was 30 years old, some Mm -hmm. men of Judea anointed David as he became the king of Judea. And then after seven more years, David was anointed by the elders of the nation to become the king of the nation. In each calling, God anointed David with the Holy Spirit, who then gave him the power and the wisdom to succeed. That's an interesting thought to me, because David, in a sense, needed, quote unquote, additional anointings, Mm -hmm. additional empowerment by the Spirit, depending on whatever the current call of God had on his life. Right. Yeah. He needed a fresh anointing. Mm -hmm. Even though our relationship with the Holy Spirit is completely different now than it was then, I'm thinking, what can I take from this lesson today Mm. and apply it in my own life? 
I think there's something. So let's look at it. I want to look at good Bez- luck. <laughs> I know Bezalel and Oholiab from the book of Exodus. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> These men were not prophets, priests, or kings. They were two ordinary men, but they were anointed for a special ministry. We were told we are told they were given wisdom and understanding and all kinds of skills to work on the tabernacle. It was only because of the power of the Holy Spirit that they were able to perform the tasks that they were appointed. In their case, they were anointed with a special ministry to make artistic design work for the decoration of the tabernacle. Hmm. Just as Jesus was anointed for his ministry, the Holy Spirit will still anoint certain people to do a particular ministry. In other words, give certain abilities to perform God's work in a unique way. In this case, we can correctly say that a person has been anointed of the Spirit to perform a certain task. Again, this is something which God alone does. We do not anoint ourselves for ministry. I find this interesting because like Bezalel and Oholiab, hopefully that's right, Mm -hmm. um, we can be anointed for a ministry that's temporary. Mm -hmm. If, for example, I had an experience one time where a burden was placed on my heart by the Spirit Mm -hmm. to pray for a certain person. Mm -hmm. And I prayed faithfully and deeply for days. Mm -hmm. And then one day I woke up and I hadn't prayed for this person. I was very upset. Went and talked to my spiritual mentor. And she very wisely said, Jen, that burden has been lifted because you've done your part. Mm -hmm. That was not meant to be a permanent call It was just for a time and a place, and the Holy Spirit has now passed that on to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of a oh, holy ab experience for me where I had an anointing for a time and a place. Yeah, that's a great example. Um, I'll tell you, I'll share a little story with you. A couple of weeks ago, my daughter sent me a video of of my five-year-old granddaughter dancing. How wonderful. And I mean, she was spinning and kicking and twirling and just, she was just feeling it. She was into it. She was feeling it. But the funniest part to me was she kept saying, I don't know how I'm doing this. And she'd spin and kick and she'd say, I don't know how I'm doing this. And she was very impressed with herself, clearly. And it made me laugh, but it also made me think. Mm. Now, I'm not suggesting here that the Holy Spirit had anointed her to dance. But I am suggesting that He anoints us to do things unique to us that we could never do on our own that can leave us saying, how am I doing this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jan, have you ever done something and thought, how am I doing this? Yes, but before I tell you, I'll just say that I'm not sure the Holy Spirit hasn't anointed your granddaughter to dance <laughs> because the Holy Spirit brings joy. That's true. That's and true. that is such an expression of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, how am I doing this? Like every week during these podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, but the times when I'm most aware then I am not operating under my own power, but under the guidance and the power of the Holy Spirit is when I'm called to forgive somebody. Um, Someone once said that it is in forgiving that we are most like God. Mm. Uh, I don't know if that's true, but it is true that I need supernatural power to do it. I cannot do that on my own. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Um, For me, just being a teacher at Lamplighters is clearly only by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I never had any desire to teach, and I certainly did not have the knowledge or the expertise, and I still don't. But I fully believe that the Holy Spirit anointed me and equipped me to do it. And now here I am all these years later, even recording a podcast. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. My my calling changed, and He equipped. 
Mm-hmm. Anointing is the supernatural ability that the Holy Spirit brings into our lives that cannot be explained. Uh, and I think that's how it works. There are different times throughout our lives that we are called mm-hmm. or anointed to do different things, and the Holy Spirit equips us to do them. Mm-hmm. Remember, He is always with us, just as Jesus promised us He would be. But now He equips us so that we can grow and evolve and even change. The anointing of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer is another provision that God gives to us so that we can better serve Him, because that's what it's all about. It's not about us. It's not about what we can do in our own power. It's about Him and what we can do for His glory. Mm. Okay, so here's the point where we usually leave our listeners with something to think about. Do you have a thought, Lynn? I do have a thought. So as believers, we are told that we are all anointed and have the Holy Spirit within us. Now remember that anointing signifies that the presence of God is so smeared or rubbed on us like oil that His presence is left on us, leaving us empowered by Him. The anointing is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that causes us to operate beyond our own ability. So my question is, What have you been anointed to do? And are you doing it to the glory of God? I'll tag on to that with a further question. How has your anointing changed over the years? Or has it? Until next time.